going to start coming together this morning. Hope in the Lord. As we're in Daniel chapter 9 this morning, this, this uh, chapter pairs perfectly with it. And so let's begin our worship by reading Isaiah 40, or this portion of Isaiah 40, together responsively. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, we come to you this morning. We come to you with the hope that we have in Christ. We come to you with with Christ in us, the hope of glory. But we also come with a hope for the future, a hope of seeing this world redeemed even as we wrestle with the sin in our own lives, with the sin of others, we, we long for the day when that sin will be finally removed and we will be sinless forevermore. We long for the hope of this world, seeing things made new before us, seeing your kingdom come on this earth, but yet still struggling as we see sin and death and disaster and many, many signs that not everything is as it should be. So, Lord, as we come together, as we worship you today, we come as a people who know the truth, who have hope, but yet also have to wait. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us, that as we come to worship you, that we would worship expecting, knowing that you are one who keeps his promises continually. That as we walk through this earth, that we will not be weary and that we will not faint because we have one who walks with us, beside us, and even in us. And so, Lord, we pray that as we worship in song, as we pray to you, even as we open your word, that you would be here among us. And we are thankful even as you are here with us today that you have given us words to pray and you've taught us to pray saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. 
Amen. So please stand with me now as we sing our praises to the Lord. Welcome. 
Thank you so much for the gospel. It is incredible news. It is that even though we are found not holy, definitely not holy enough to be in your presence, even though we are found guilty of sinning against you ourselves and our parents all the way back to Adam and Eve, everybody sinned against you. And if you kept a record of sins... Nobody could stand before you. But praise God that you keep a record of righteousness that Jesus Christ alone has done. And so now we come by faith and we confess together that there is no other way by which men can be saved but believing on Him. You sent your own Son to be an offering for your enemies. I, for one, am grateful, and there's a lot of people here, Lord, that just, that's what they're holding on to today, because all this other stuff will pass away. So thank you for faith in Christ, and we long to see the church full of people who are just in recovery like us, recovering from sin, recovering from this life by the blood of the Lamb. We long to see this church full but this whole town and all the churches in this town full we long to see families thriving again walking with you and so lord we need your gospel this song the last one and the one before they're all about the gospel help us to always be about it lord as we sing this together in jesus name amen My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. His oath, His covenant, His blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Amen. You may be seated. So look with me there at the center of your bulletin under the corporate profession as we continue to look through the Westminster Shorter Catechism together. Quick announcement concerning next Sunday, we will be having a meal together after church. It's going to be a Mexican theme, and so we'd love for you to join us, bring food to share, and join us for fellowship after the service next Sunday. So let's look together at the Shorter Catechism Questions number 62 and 63 at this portion of the Catechism is working through the Ten Commandments. And you can see there it's finished up with the fourth and it's beginning on the fifth. And as a church, we recite these Catechism questions each week, not these two, but different two each week, in order to learn what it is that we believe. We have the Westminster Confession of Faith and Larger and Shorter Catechisms as a summary of the things that we believe as a church. And we believe that it's good for Christians to know what they believe. They're not a replacement for Scripture, but they are a great summary of the Scriptures, and we look at them each week together. So with that, let's look together at these questions. As usual, I will read the questions, and then we'll read the answers together in unison concerning these things that we believe. 
What are the reasons annexed to the fourth commandment? The reasons annexed to the fourth commandment are God's allowing us six days of the week for our own employments, His challenging a special propriety in the seventh, His own example, and His blessing the Sabbath day. Which is the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God gives you. Amen. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to such as keep His covenant, and to those who remember His commandments to do them. The Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you His angels, who excel in strength, who do His word, heeding the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, you ministers of His, who do His pleasure. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Dear God, we come before You today thanking You for being our Father. I pray that You would be honored by our words, by our thoughts, by our worship today as we sing to You, as the Word is preached, as we read Your very words in Scripture. May You be honored and glorified forever and ever. We thank You this day that You have brought us again to this place. 
this place with brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can worship together, worship in spirit and in truth, in holiness, because of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Be with us here this day. Fill us with Your Spirit. Guide us in Your truth. Open our ears to hear Your Word. Renew us. Strengthen us. Remind us of Your promises. Remind us of Your faithfulness. Remind us of Your holiness. You alone are worthy. Worthy of our praise. Remind us also that You are a loving God, that You are a God of wrath, and that this world and the sin of this world will be laid out before You and Your wrath will come upon those of disobedience. And I pray that You would use us today and every day to go out into this world to share the Gospel, to serve You, to honor You, and to call our friends and our family and our co-workers to repent and believe. For Your kingdom is at hand. Lord, we thank You for the words of Scripture. We thank You for this psalm today that reminds us to bless Your holy name. It reminds us that You forgive all our iniquities and You heal all our diseases. You've redempted us from a life of, destruct, of destruction. Your loving kindness and mercy are always with us. You are righteous. You are merciful. You are gracious. You are slow to anger. And You abound in mercy. Your love for Your people is unimaginable to us. And You've separated our sin as far as the east is from the west. And no created thing can remove us out of Your hand, not even we ourselves. Thank You for loving us and changing our hearts. Continue to transform us by the renewing of our minds, by changing the way we think. Pray that You would go with us in this time as we partake of Your supper to proclaim our Redeemer, His body broken for us, His blood shed for us that continues to cleanse us and remind us of the robe of righteousness that have been given to us that we now wear and we are called Yours. Be with the monies that are given, the tithes and offerings, that they would be for Your glory for Your blessing and the blessing of Your people. Remind us as we've begun this study on Wednesdays about vocation. And the one that You called, Abram, and told him to go out and be a blessing. And You've called each one of us to go out and be a blessing in whatever vocation that may be, that we would bless Your people, that we would honor You, Lord, thank You for giving us this place, for giving us a minister of Your Word. We thank You for Mike and that You would continue to guide him and use him as he preaches Your Word today, protect his words, 
protect his family. We lift him up to you to be a faithful servant to you, God, Andy, and myself as we are your servants here, that we would serve faithfully, that we would honor you in the role of elder, that we would be a caretaker of your sheep, and that we would look to you, the Good Shepherd, our Savior Jesus, as an example, and that you would continue to conform us into his image. Be with all those that are hurting and sick today. Be with those, especially in Hawaii, those that are our brothers and sisters who have lost homes and other places and all the people there that you would use us and your people to minister to them and help them. Guide us as we go out into a culture that seems to hate you more and more but that we would have hope in the gospel and that we would have hope in your promises and that we would ask forgiveness for ourselves and for this nation, that we would turn from sin and turn to a God, the only true God, and His Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, be with our brothers and sisters throughout the world today and be with us as we gather together with them in one voice, in one heart, in one faith. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. We are going to be looking at verses 24 through 27 today. Daniel nine twenty four through twenty seven. As we continue to work through Daniel, we will be doing that for the next few weeks. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord and ask for His help and His blessing on our time and His Word. Let's, let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to the Word. We come to a passage that is pretty difficult. I confess my own lack of understanding, even my own lack of consideration as we come to this text. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us, that you would help us to see you clearly in this text, that you would, that we would see you clearly as our Savior, our Redeemer, and the hope even for our future redemption. That as we come together this morning, we still in many ways see only dimly these promises that you have for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open up our hearts and minds, that we would see them ever more clearly, that we would see you more and more clearly. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So as we've been going through the book of Daniel, we've gotten to this section of prophecy and Dan, you know, Daniel deals with this idea of waiting and hope a lot in the book. And it made me think of a documentary that I watched on the Vietnam War. And I've studied a lot about the Vietnam War. And one of the things that intrigued me most was the prisoners of war, the POWs that were there. There were almost 600 Americans that were prisoners of war, at least that we know about. 
in the nation of Vietnam during the time there. And when the fighting finished, there was a, a peace deal, and the fighting finished in January, but many of these prisoners of war had to wait for over two months to be released from Vietnamese prisons, knowing the war was over, yet unable to be free from that. They knew they were going to be released, which is, I can't imagine the excitement. Many of them had been there years upon years, the excitement of that, but they, but they were also in a place away from home. They were in a, a foreign place in a, in a prison where many of them at some point in their imprisonment had experienced torture and starvation for years. And again, I can't even imagine that end of that spectrum either. They had their freedom, but they weren't free. They had to wait. And so there's this time for them that was, that was hard, must have been hard. I can't even imagine. And you've, you've heard me talk about this as, you know, for, for various texts throughout the scriptures, this context that we have as Christians, this idea of already and not yet, that as in the Christian life, we have salvation, but yet we are still waiting for this future redemption when all things will be made new in Christ. We've seen that as we've gone through the book of Daniel throughout. I mean, Daniel's whole life was waiting in this foreign land, knowing the promises of God for his freedom, but yet not being free at the same time. In our text today, he's going to be given to the, an answer to the prayer that he prayed at the first part of, of 9, and it's pointing to the fact that he is free, that he is free in his Redeemer, but he'll never have that kind of earthly freedom that he desired. Our passage today is one of the most difficult passages in the Bible to interpret, and there are many interpretations out there. But what we always do here is our presupposition is that the text must be about Jesus. It must be about Jesus. And so that is the conclusion that I come to today as we see our Savior in this passage. We'll see what he has already accomplished on our behalf and what we'll wait for, either until he returns or until he calls us to be with him in glory. So as we consider the text, I want to break it up into two main parts, a time for rebuilding and difficulty, and then second, a time of hope and despair. And so with that, let's look together at the text, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate 
until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. And so before we look at this text in particular, I want to go into the context. Context is very important here for this passage, as it is with any passage in the Bible. The first part of Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is praying for the people of Israel in anticipation of their return home after 70 years of exile. Daniel knows the pattern of the people of Israel, the pattern of sin, their pattern to be unrepentant for that sin, to live in unrepentance. And so he is praying to God that God would grant a time of peace and forgiveness from God and that he would lead his people to repentance and that he would lead them to healing. And as he's praying this, remember last time we were together in Daniel, while Daniel was praying these things, Gabriel, the angel, swoops in with his answer from the Lord. It's like literally while Daniel was in the midst of his prayer, the angel Gabriel swoops in and starts talking to Daniel about the answer to his prayer. That his res- And part of his response was to make sure that Daniel knew that he was precious to the Lord, that he was loved by the Lord. And he also, as a part of his in, in part of his answer, that Gabriel instructed Daniel by calling him to consider the word, to understand the vision. We too are in that place. We must consider and understand. But as we come to this text, and even as I read it earlier, and you looked with me, there are times when we come to a passage of scripture when the quote unquote most plain reading still leaves us with lots and lots of questions. Lots of questions. We've had some difficult visions in Daniel so far as we looked at chapter 7 and we looked at chapter 8. But in those, we had help from an interpreter. There was someone who would come in and it was Gabriel one time, kind of swooped in and said, this is what all this stuff means. And it was really helpful for us. But here, we're just given some things and then we're left with them. Even in the last two, we got Daniel's reaction. Seven and chapter eight, we get Daniel's reactions to those visions, and we read that Daniel had some alarm and some difficulty, and it, and it caused him despair. But here, nothing. We don't get Daniel's reaction to these things. And so, admittedly, I come to this passage with a little bit of trepidation. My concern isn't like Daniel's, where Daniel has sees this vision for what it is, and the fulfillment of that vision bothers him, knowing what's coming for Israel, knowing what's coming even for himself in so many ways. But for me personally, it's a fear of not doing right by God's Word, and for you, His people. Yet after reading lots of sources, spending some time in prayer, I figured a path forward with this passage. I encourage you, there are lots of different views. You just look up Daniel 9, 70 weeks or 77s or whatever, you're, you're going to find just thousands of pages that have been uh, written over this passage over the years. But I encourage you to be careful because, as, as I said in the introduction, if the interpretation is not Christ, if he is not the center, then that interpretation is flawed because this passage is about salvation and there is no salvation apart from Christ. And so as we come to this passage, we'll consider this as God's answer to Daniel's prayer for his people. 
that they would turn away from their sin and turn to God. This will help us to, this will help ground us in our interpretation that leads us to the first point, a time for rebuilding and difficulty. Look with me again at verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. So the idea behind this verse and the view that I'm going to take is that it kind of covers the entirety of the rest of this period, the whole of 70, these 70 weeks. And your Bible may not say weeks. It actually may say 77s. Or if it doesn't say 77s, it probably has a little note and tells you to look. And in that little note, it says 77s because that is the literal translation of what's going on here, both in 24 and 25 and 26 is the word sevens. The number seven denotes wholeness, denotes a completion in the Hebrew language and even in God's economy. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. How many days of creation? There are seven days of creation with the seventh day being a day of rest in which God rested from his labors every seventh year was considered a Sabbath year, and the land was to be set aside as, a re- as to rest and to take a Sabbath. And then every year after seven sevens of years, there was a celebration called the Year of Jubilee, which is the 50th year, and it served as a reset for, kind of, for the whole community in lots and lots of ways. These things are found in Scripture. This isn't just Jewish tradition. This is God's Word setting forth patterns for the people of God. When the disciples were wondering, even when this is another thing from the New Testament, when the disciples were wondering how often they should forgive something or someone, remember what they asked, what did Peter say? How many times should we forgive our brother? Seven times? You know, Peter's, Peter's kind of borrowing from this, this Hebrew idea. Well, what was Jesus' reply in Matthew 18? I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Was Jesus saying, forgive them 490 times, and on the 491st time, then you can start to get some revenge? No, that's not what he's saying. But these weren't arbitrary numbers to be both Jesus and Peter. They knew God's word. Jesus was there, in fact, when Gabriel was speaking these words to Daniel. In fact, these are Jesus' words to Daniel through Gabriel. Gabriel's just the messenger. Jesus was around when all this was going on, and he approved The idea wasn't the number, but the idea itself. This idea of completion, forgiveness, should be complete. It should be finished, is what Jesus was saying. He goes on to tell a parable of what it looks like when the Father forgives the sins of his people, right? And so Jesus is talking about completion. So when Gabriel says to Daniel, 77s are decreed about your people, we could definitely be dealing with a period of time that is 490 years. Right? As he's talking about these 77 year periods. But I don't think that it's necessary that we are talking about 490, 365 day periods. I don't think that that is necessary. Rather, I think it's symbolic of a complete interval of time or several complete interval of time. Some longer than others when certain events are going to take place. There's a larger interval, the whole 77s, and there are events that are going to take place. And he lists those six things that are going to take place during this time. 
three of those things that are going to take place are dealing with something being taken away from the people. Sin. Three of them are dealing with something that is being added to the people. And it's actually three different things. Righteousness, a seal, and an anointing. If you look at these first three things, what's being taken away? Finish the transgression, verse 24. To put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity. What do we know as Christians this side of the of the New Testament and understanding the fullness of God's revelation to His people? What do we know that Daniel could only look forward to and could only see dimly? We know that these things only happen in one person. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, these things, finishing transgression, putting an end to sin, the atonement for iniquity, these things are done in Christ. While Daniel has to look far to see this reality, we need to only look back to Jesus to confirm that these words from the Lord are indeed true. And when you look at the next three things, we see Jesus in them as well. That He is bringing everlasting righteousness What do we know concerning the righteousness of Christ? We know that He became sin that we might become the righteousness of Christ. And this is a forever thing. That we will have that for all eternity. That sealing both vision and profit. That the promises of God. We talked about this morning in Sunday school. The promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That all the signs... All of those things that looked forward to Christ in the Old Testament are now sealed, are now finished in Christ. I mean, the whole book of Hebrews calls us to look at this passage and understand that all of these signs are sealed up and finished in Christ. He is the better, He is better than all those things. He is better than the prophets of old. Anointing a holy place. What happened when Jesus was, when, when Jesus died on the cross? curtain of the temple was torn in two when Jesus died. That we have access to the very throne room of God, to the holy of holies. We had to go there via a priest before, but now Christ as our mediator, we are encouraged even to go boldly before the throne of God. So this whole time period, the 70 weeks of years or 77s, however you want to say it, concerns Christ's coming and concerns his ministry and what he did as a part of his ministry. This is going to help us going into it. Look with me at verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. So we have two intervals given. We have this one seven-week period, and we have a second one that is 62 weeks. We're going to look at these separately. The first period, the seven weeks, is going to be rebuilding. The ESV kind of it, it says squares and a moat. It's probably better rendered in our English ears like streets and a wall. I don't I don't know why the translators chose those words because it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Squares and a moat to us, but that's what they did. But we see this happen, right, as we read through the book of Nehemiah. What are they doing? They're rebuilding the city. They're rebuilding the wall of the city. This is good news to Daniel. Daniel was looking forward to this happening, that the city of Jerusalem wasn't going to be left destitute, but it was going to be rebuilt. Following this period, there was going to be continued rebuilding. 
and the eventual coming of this anointed one, this, this Messiah, who had been built up in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, books that Daniel was familiar with. He was familiar with the words of these prophets. And this Messiah was the one who was going to bring change in the hearts of men and women. But he was going to be built up as one that must give his life. And that's exactly what we see in the first part of verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. The Messiah was supposed to be at the tail end of this kind of renewing of the nation of Israel, even though there was going to be difficult times in the midst of that. And as we read history, we see just that. The Messiah was going to come, and then he was going to be suddenly cut off. And so imagine Daniel, as you're hearing this from the angel Gabriel, hearing about the rebuilding and restoration, these good things that Daniel must have been looking forward to, but then yet hearing about the difficulty that must also take place. That there's going to be a time of difficulty and this Messiah that he had been so waiting to meet was going to come and then be cut off. He knows that God will be glorified in the end. Of course, Daniel knows this to be true. He knows that God will receive ultimate victory because he can't not receive victory. So why can't he... I mean, I'm sure Daniel must have thought this. Why can't he just skip past the difficulty? And get to those good parts. Because Daniel waited a lifetime. For 70 years, he was in exile in Babylon. He waited for 70 years for these to be complete. And now he's hearing that he's not even going to see the end of it. That he would meet the Messiah, but it wouldn't be in his earthly life. That he would have to wait for glory to see his Redeemer face to face. The people of Israel would be rebuilt only to see it broken down yet again. They would see their Messiah come. He came. He became a man and dwelt among them. But we know how that story went. They rejected Him. They wouldn't have Him while He was there among them. And as God's covenant people, we are still here waiting. It is the life of a Christian to wait. Believers from all times, even those in the New Testament church who knew the apostles, those who knew the apostles who had walked with Jesus themselves, they too, the apostles themselves even, waited. And we still wait all these years later. And we see Christianity ebb and flow. We see times of building and rejoicing. We watch As nations rise and fall, we watch as nations embrace Christ only to reject Him later. We even see this on a much smaller scale in our own families and among our friends as we see those reject Christ or we see them even for a time appear to embrace Christ and then ultimately show themselves to be unbelievers at some point. And we go through this whole ebb and flow of hope and despair, wondering when it's all going to end. We wait and watch through these difficult times. The Apostle John wrote his own visions down concerning the end of days, of course, in the book of Revelation. And if you read all the way to the end, what does he pray at the end of his book? All these things that were shown to him that are going to take place, which really show the victory of Christ and all these great, wonderful things that are going to take place. Come quickly. Lord Jesus is His prayer. 
And he waited there in exile himself for Jesus to come back each day, waking up, hoping that it would be that day. But instead of Jesus coming to him, he went to meet Jesus 2,000 years ago. And we still wait. As we read this passage about 72 we or seven weeks and 62 weeks, and we wonder how long this actually is and what it all actually means, we wait for the only one who can take away sin, who can restore righteousness, and in whom all of God's promises are yes and amen. We wait for Jesus. While we already have, of course, the surety of His promises, we already have Christ Himself in us among His people, how much more will we see them and know them and know Him when we come face to face with Jesus finally? But in our greatest times of despair, church, we cannot take our eyes off of Him. If we do, we fall into the cares of this world Worrying ourselves about things that won't last, that can't last, and that can't fix anything, that can't do anything, that are not saviors at all. There's this whole chapter in the book of Hebrews that is full of people that waited for Jesus, that waited for the time that their Savior would come, and each one of them had difficulties of their own to endure, and as you read about each one of those people, you know their difficulty. But at the close of that chapter, it's Hebrews 11, at the close of Hebrews 11, the writer reminds us right at the beginning of chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all of those people that waited for Jesus beforehand, since so we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do that? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That brings us to the next point. Time for hope and despair. Let's look again at verses 26 and 27. And after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is, who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So as we've been considering these 77s, verse 24 again kind of gave us an overview of all of them. In 25, a look at those first two periods, the seven-week and then the 62-week period. And these last two verses, I believe, show us the last of those, of that seven, of that 70 weeks, the last seven-day or seven-year period, with 26 kind of giving us an overview of what's to take place and 27 giving us more details about the events. In verse 
26, the anointed one, the Messiah, would be cut off and have nothing. And this would be the crucifixion of Christ. Then afterward, one would come and destroy the city or the sanctuary. History teaches us that in A.D. 70, the Roman general Titus came and sacked Jerusalem and burned the city to the ground and destroyed the temple of the Lord. The Jewish people were scattered all over Asia and Europe, and in AD 70, that was the last year that temple sacrifices ever took place. While some point to a figure that this this prince that is to, to rise up, one of the interpretations of this is that there is this figure that is going to rise up known as the Antichrist properly, meaning like the there's going to be this one guy named the Antichrist. There's no real need for us to create this single figure in the Bible. Um, there's, we don't see that need to do that. As we saw from the little horn, the figure of the little horn in chapter 7 and 8, anyone who keeps the people of God from the worship of God and calls them to worship other gods is an anti-Christ. History is full of them. There will be more. And so we're not dealing with this one figure who's going to rise up out of the European Union or anything like that and become the Antichrist. I know that's a common interpretation. And the Bible just doesn't need that at all. As we look at verse 27, it picks up on these themes again, but it divides that final seven into halves. The first half, there's one who makes a strong covenant. And for half that period, puts an end to sacrifice and offering. Well, my interpretation of this is that there is one that makes a strong covenant in his covenant. It's the new covenant. And he, of course, once and for all puts an end to sacrifices and offerings because he is the final sacrifice and offering our Lord Jesus. While sacrifice continued after Christ's death, those sacrifices meant nothing at that point. They pointed to no one because in Christ all of them were yes and amen and there was no longer a need for animals to die on behalf of the people because Christ, the Lamb of God, died on behalf of His people. The idea of verse 24, the seal, both vision and prophet, and anoint a most holy place. Again, these are, these are found complete in Christ. And there's this, there's a finality here concerning this idea of the covenant that only Christ can accomplish. And then in the last half of 27, we have some, some admittedly very difficult stuff to translate. And I'll just say that in my view, it reiterates what we had above the destruction of the temple in 8070. There's probably a whole lot more to that there, but it is, uh, it is beyond my ability to understand, admittedly. We've talked about Daniel and how he must have felt. Well, imagine first century Christians also, or even an apostle that was walking with Jesus at the time. The apostles knew these things. They knew about Daniel. They knew about those words that Daniel wrote, wondering when Jesus came, is, is this going to be the end? I mean, don't you know that's why they thought it was all going to happen so quickly because they, they read this and they thought, okay, here we are. We're at this place that Daniel wrote about so long ago, knowing, and then they knew that this one that they were walking with was going to, as Daniel said, be cut off and have nothing. And this must have been terrifying for them. It was. We have their account. They were terrified. They scattered. They lied. They denied Jesus. They struggled. 
wondering how this could seem so good, but yet it only represented the beginnings of difficult times for them as they waited for the end. And each one of those apostles met their end because of their faith. And as you go on into the church, you see the same kinds of difficulties. Even today, as we live in a place where we don't have to die for our faith, thank God, we still have struggles all the time. We come together each morning during Sunday school and we exchange prayer requests about health struggles, about things going on with friends and family, about things that are going on with different churches that we know about and the struggles therein of children, wayward children, people, friends, falling away from the faith. We read about wars in distant lands. We read about famine. We read about disease. We read about fires that destroy whole cities overnight. We read about these terrible things. And it should cause us to wonder, how long, O Lord? The more I live, the more I understand John's prayer at the end of Revelation. Come quickly. Lord Jesus, yet here we are waiting. But we wait with hope because we are truly free in Christ and nothing on this earth can ever take that away from us. I want to say to you here today, if you're an unbeliever, as I'm talking about the terrible things on this earth, but yet the hope that I have in Christ that I'm looking forward to a day when there will be no more hurt and pain. As an unbeliever, you don't have that hope. And I don't know how you do it. I don't understand because there's no hope at the end. You wait for nothing. But in Christ, let me say this first, in Christ, things aren't going to get any easier you're not gonna, if you, if you choose to believe in Christ, it's not as if all these bad things are going to disappear. They're not. They're gonna be here. But the hope that you have for redemption will change. In Christ, you wait on Him, your Savior, to finally come. Without Christ, only wrath and punishment awaits. But you can change that. The scripture says if you believe in Jesus, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, that God has risen Him from the dead, you can be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus today and be saved. For the believer here, while we wait, there's so much to do. It would be really easy to just kind of despair and to shrink into our own little places and to maybe wait in a safe place with one another kind of huddled up. But we have this hope. We have this hope inside of us that He gives us. We can offer this hope even to the world around us. And not just with the words that we have to say to them through the very gospel of Christ, of course, that is the very hope that we have for all glory. But yet we can even do this in the way that we live. I mean, you read about these POW camps from Vietnam and even other wars, and there were always men and women in the camp that would create hope by speaking about the things that were going to come, by acting in a way that inspired hope from the people around them, by showing that the promise of freedom, their freedom, was real. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how much more can we do this? Because we actually have freedom in us, for us, 
We can do that on this earth by the way that we go about our lives and the relationships that we have, by the way that we serve our families, even in our workplaces by the work that we do. We can demonstrate the hope that we have for the next life in this life. Jesus is using His people to see His kingdom come on this earth, and we are His means of making all things new. While we wait for His return, a moment that we can't imagine, that we long for, we must work to produce hope in ourselves and in those around us. As Paul says in Romans 5.5, this hope that we have does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. And so we have this great thing in us, brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us show the world this work that he has done in us. Let us teach them about Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we many times despair, even as we have it good, so much better than so many of our brothers and sisters around the world, we look around the world and we look even around our communities and our friends and our family and we have so many reasons that we could easily despair. So Lord, we pray that you would fixate our gaze upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we would lay aside every hindrance, that we would lay aside every obstacle, and that we would run this race set before us with the hope that we have in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.